This is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living Catholic, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. Day by day. And now your host, Bill Father Wolf. Welcome, welcome another edition of Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene in Oklahoma City. And while it may be almost impossible to imagine, we are hastening toward Lent. Ash Wednesday is March the 1st, just a couple of weeks from now, and we are faced with the prospect of deciding what we're going to do during this season of preparation. It's time to deepen our relationship with the Lord. That's what Lent is for. Now, you might wonder, is all of that necessary? Well, we can take that from two perspectives. After all, if we've given ourselves to the Lord, if he is indeed the Lord of our lives, why is it necessary to spend this time, 40 days, making things deeper and more serious in our relationship to him? Or from another perspective, if we're only kind of serious or if we've gotten distracted, well, we might need to get back on track and find our way. So that makes sense. So let's take both of our starting places. Jesus is Lord of our lives, and we often have to open our eyes and our minds to remember what's important. That is, sometimes it might be necessary for us to remember what Lord in our lives should mean. And in that, we should note that Jesus, though began his ministry with 40 days in the desert, as he prepared himself for breaking out into public ministry, After his time in the desert, he began to reveal his message and the promise of salvation to the world. He was intimate with the Father, and his whole life had been in preparation for his mission to save the world. He went, though, into the desert to prepare himself, although everything from the time he was born to where he grew up to the development and preparation that he underwent up to that time was already ready for him. Why did he need 40 days in the desert to begin? Maybe those 40 days, the 40 days that we passed during the season of Lent, maybe they don't exist because there's a question of doing time in order to be in shape to do God's will, as if knowing and serving God were a matter somehow of running a marathon or being a part of the team. Maybe there's something more to this kind of preparation than the pain we undergo in order to be, oh, an apt um, subject of what God wants. Who would be more apt than Jesus himself? And yet he passed 40 days in preparation. Lent happens for us in imitation of Jesus' time in the desert. If that's what he did, it's something we might do as we prepare ourselves to encounter Christ more deeply in our lives. Certainly Jesus was intent on an encounter with the will of God in his life. In fact, the number 40 is important throughout the story of God's people. When God remade the world at the time of the flood, it was 40 days and 40 nights that it rained. It was also 40 days after the flood had begun to recede that Noah opened the hatch of the ark and looked out to see if he could see land. It was also 40 days that Moses was on the mountain of the Lord as he led the people of Israel out of slavery into freedom, where he received the law of the Lord, 
Of course, it was also 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert before it encountered the promised land and 40 days that the prophet Elijah walked in the desert as he was fleeing the prophets of Baal. 40 is more than just a number. It appears that in the story of God with his people, this is a symbolic time, a time of preparation for when something new happens. Without the time, without the preparation, what's new might not be able to take place. So Jesus spent 40 days in the desert in preparation for the new thing that would happen as his message broke out into the world for people to hear. By our passing 40 days, we can enter more deeply into the promise that something new can happen in our lives. That's what Lent is all about. It's so that we're ready for what God wants to make of us and our lives. We're ready to do and experience what we might not notice or experience until we've had the time to prepare ourselves. To some extent, you know, that notion of preparation goes against the grain of our expectation. Most of the time, we expect to be perfectly available to whatever happens to us in our lives. It's a curious presumption on our part because if we think about it, we know it's not true. But most of the time, we don't think about it. We simply presume we are always and immediately available to ourselves and to what happens to us. But think about it for a moment. How many times have you met somebody who says that he could worship God just as easily by looking up at the mountains on a winter morning or on a golf course on a summer day as being in a church praying on his knees or saying the rosary? We know what that person means. He's saying that all of the time in church just isn't necessary for him. God's right there, and God's promise and God's offer is right in front of him any time that he wants to get a hold of it. All he has to do is just reach up and grab it. It's right there. That's so often thought to be how things are that people have a hard time imagining it might be different. People are willing to stake their future on this immediate and easy and obvious availability. They're willing to stake their heavenly future on that. They presume that at the moment when they need to, they can simply turn to God and the gates of heaven will be open to them as if they were showing up at Walmart and it doesn't matter whether it's noon, midnight, or 3 a.m. That's the origin of the claim by which so many people say that they are spiritual but not religious. They don't have to do religious things because their lives, they claim, are open to whatever God wants to do or to give or to change. But we all know that's not really true. We have to be ready to receive and to respond, or we can miss the most obvious and the most important things. Being prepared is often the most critical part of what it means to be a human being. Unless we are prepared, We can just blow our chances for being able to respond or being able to find something new or being prepared to do what comes next. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I'd like to mention our premier sponsor, McLaren's Pantry. You can talk to Kathy Busson there about your catering needs at 405-348-2336 or go by his seer at 3414 South Boulevard. Back in just a moment.
Welcome back, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. Father Don Wolf, pastor at St. Eugene in Oklahoma City. We're talking about getting ready for Lent. Let me give you an example of what it means to be ready and why we take this time, 40 days, in order to be ready for something new, something different in our lives. For most of the time, we presume that music, for example, is available anytime we want to listen. After all, all we have to do is turn on the radio and find the station that we like, or we can get on the phone now and find a radio station anyone we like. It could be in Berlin or Burma or Benghazi and tune in to what we want to listen to if we want something different or particular. In fact, with the technology that we have now, we can get on our smartphones and download just about anything that's ever been recorded and have it right there to listen to anytime we want. We presume music is at our fingertips at any hour of the day or night. But that's music, what, how do we say it, from the outside. Whether it's Beethoven or Bon Jovi, when we ordinary, normal people listen to it, we're hearing it as, well, hearers. But we're on the outside, allowing it to come into our ears and to affect us as it does. But if we really want to experience it, if we really want to have the chance for music to be inside of us, we have to do something more. It's not enough simply to have it available and to have it sound good to us. We have to make ourselves available to it, and that's not always easy. One way, of course, of making ourselves available is to study how the music we're listening to is formed and how it arrives to us in that form. And I don't mean just studying music criticism so that we're all experts on, what, medieval motets and their transformation into choral music or some highfalutin ideas like that. What I mean is, if we know, for example, how the big band music of the 40s began to sound stilted and overproduced to the young peoples of the 50s, we'll be able to understand how Elvis Presley or the Everly Brothers sounded so new and fresh to the people who heard them for the first time. We could begin to hear them, those artists, and their quote-unquote classic sounds as those who heard them for the first time heard them as music that was new and fresh and lively. The more we know, the more music speaks to us from the context of its own origin and development. The more that we can appreciate it, the more it speaks to us. We can let it all go, of course, and simply turn on the radio, but if we don't know that there is a richness to it all, that there's more to it than simply the sounds and the words, we're liable to miss some of its most redeeming and meaningful parts. Unless we ready ourselves, we can miss the whole thing. For ex In the movie La La Land, the main characters are talking about jazz. She doesn't like it because it's just noise to her. And it's what old people listen to. It's just music on the elevator. And then he gives her, and all of us watching the movie, a lesson in what jazz is and why it's so compelling and so meaningful, why it has become the most American and one of the most important musical exports in all of musical history. After his little lesson, we, she, and we, the hearers, we have to admit we don't necessarily have to like jazz but we know how to listen to it better. It's there for us in a way that it's not there before. That It's true, it takes time and energy. Nobody has to do it. There are millions of people who like the Beach Boys or Pearl Jam or Lady Gaga because that's what they like. It's just what they hear. They don't know and they don't care about what the music might mean to others or what its place in the universe of musical sound is. They just like it. 
so be it. But if they did know, they could listen to it and hear it in a way that could transform the music for them. There might be a thousand things there. They just didn't know they were there. They didn't know they were hearing it when they heard it. And they didn't know what they were being a part of as they heard it. It could be for them, for us, like learning to speak another language. What was just strange and random sounds, things that are funny or confusing or chaotic, suddenly has meaning and purpose. Learning to hear another language would be great, especially if it's embedded in the music that you already listen to. Something that's there becomes available to you when you become disposed to, to, to hear it, to receive it. But, you know, there's even a greater possibility after that, and that's to hear music from the inside. If you learn to play an instrument, if you learn to read music and make music, you can hear it in a way you never imagined was possible. Of course, nobody can do that overnight. It takes lots of practice and the willingness to do lots of work that doesn't seem especially rewarding to you, especially at first. But once you've done it, there's the possibility of listening in a way that's simply not possible unless you're a musician. Remember, it might constrain your freedom to sit at the piano bench and practice for hours every day. But unless your freedom is constrained by practice, you'll never be able to be free to play the piano. Take me, for example. I'm only free to make noise when I sit down at the piano. I'm not free to make music because I don't know how to. What there is in composition in performance is there for everybody, whether we can hear it and appreciate it or not. But unless we're ready, unless we're disposed to receive it, it simply goes by. It's like walking among palm trees and seeing the coconuts and not being able to go up to where they are and get them. It might be the case that without the discipline of prayer and the cost of faithful service, I'll never be ready to receive what God wants to give me. It's there at any time in my life. I just can't get to it. But the worst part isn't that I can't quite reach up to pick the fruit that's hanging on the trees because it's out of reach. The worst part is when I don't know what I'm missing because I was never ready to even know that it was available for me in the first place. Walking by and not knowing that there's fruit there and that it's sweet and delicious and healthful, so I stroll on looking somewhere else and not finding it, that's the worst tragedy of all. I don't even miss it because I never knew it was there in the first place. The cruelest thing of all. We could use another figure. Gil Bailey, in describing a scene from Dante's poem, The Purgatorio, showed what it could be like to come to the end of our lives unready to receive what God has offered. In this scene, a person who has died stands before God and sees his whole life. And God tells him that he could have done anything, anything, because he had everything he needed. Mother Teresa, Thomas Aquinas, Albert Einstein, all famous for what they did. And God tells the person standing before him, there's only 2% difference between you and them. That person seeing it all in front of him says, if only I had been where I could have grasped it. And God says, it was there for you all the time. It was in your hand and you never closed your hand around it. And as Bailey points out, 
That's what suffering in purgatory might look like, knowing you could have been anybody. You could have changed the world, and you didn't because you just didn't know all you had to do was close your hand around it. As the character Marlon Brando plays in On the Waterfront, he could have been somebody, and he didn't know that he could because he didn't know. But he could have if he had gotten ready. The thing was, he wasn't ready. That's what Lent is for, getting ready, to become equipped for the possibility of receiving what God wants to offer. It's right there for us to grasp if we're ready to grasp it. It's just there. Now, let's be clear. It's not because God is withholding something from us. It's not because God has fixed things so that only the bright and the smart and the clever can find what's important and good. In fact, Jesus said it was exactly the opposite. God's not withholding anything. God has done everything that God can do to make the gift of life and salvation available to us. It's not God's fault if we don't grasp it. It's ours. Think about how Adam responded when he and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. It says in chapter 3 of Genesis that they ate of it, their eyes were open, and they saw they were naked, so they covered themselves in leaves. When they heard God in the garden, they ran and hid in the shadow of the trees, and God eventually called out to Adam and said, where are you? And Adam responded, I'm here. But what if he hadn't answered? God knew Adam and the circumstances of Adam's life, but without Adam walking out of the shadows, without Adam responding, he would not have received the message that God gave to him. We're pretty much in the same shape. So we begin with the practices that it takes to become ready to grasp what the Lord is giving us. That's what the disciplines of Lent are for. We can attune our hearing and open our eyes to receive the message and to to get a hold of the promise God wants us to have. So what kinds of disciplines should we have? There are, of course, a million options. The church has listed three. They're as old as the church itself. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Each one of these things opens our eyes to the gifts that God wants to give to us and to those uh, and to the people around us. If we want our Lent to get us ready, we can practice these. The first is prayer. It's easy to describe. It's the relationship that we have with God. It's more than talking to God regularly. It's listening to and being attentive to God's desire to communicate with us. If we want to cause a relationship in our life to grow, we have to communicate. That means we need to take the time and set aside the means in order to talk to one another. But not just talk, we have to develop the discipline of listening. If you want to develop a deeper and more meaningful relationship with your boyfriend, for example, you don't just talk all the time, you have to be willing to listen. Developing prayer with God is to take the time to listen to God speaking. That's often done by paying a special attention to the scriptures. What better way to listen to God than to read what he has told us? The second, after prayer, is fasting. The scriptures are full of times when God asks people to fast. It's not magic. It's not making God happy by not having something. Fasting has the power to clarify our thinking and our understanding. I've mentioned over and over that during Lent, I give up coffee, among other things. It's not because God needs the coffee I'm not going to drink, nor does God require the small pleasure I get from having a cup of morning joe, 
But by giving it up, by taking the step of living without it, by way of my sacrifice, I'm putting myself in contact with the world in a different way. When I go without, I immediately become aware of what a small, contingent creature I am and how dependent I am on all of the support and help necessary for me to get along. Fasting and then giving alms, helping the poor. It means we give our money away to help another who is in need. We're not buying God off. We're not spending our way into God's favor. We're becoming aware of our place in the goodness of creation. When I'm generous, I'm in touch with the truth of the world whose very definition is gracious generosity. All of the things that are most important to me, I receive for free. The air I breathe, the soil that raises my food, the rain that sustains our lives, all of them are free. Without them, life as we know it wouldn't be possible. When I give generously, I enter in the power of life. And when I give generously to those who depend only upon the goodness of others, I imitate God who gives specifically to those most in need. So I should strive to open up my billfold and give if I want to be aware of God in my life. After all, God gave away the gift of Christ to us all just because he wanted us to have hope, and he gave it away freely. You'll get it back. That's what entering the circle of generosity is all about. But you can't get it until you've gotten into the circle, and that happens only when you give from the heart and from your own generous life. Prayer, fasting, giving alms. Those are the means for turning our lives to God in this season. Lent, 40 days, it's for us, a chance for us to be serious. So why not make Lent something special this year so that you can grasp what the Lord is offering you? How many times have you gotten to Easter and wished that you had done something to make the season special, to make Easter a moment of intimacy with the Lord? Make it happen this year. Back in just a moment. To see me more Welcome back to our final segment, Faith in Verse. We have a poem today called Galileo Galilee. When Galileo looked into his new wrapped prism and found the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, he knew there was at least one place in the wider world where bodies circled other bodies, their orbits curled. And he thought he knew the God of all arrangements had changed, did not apportion each assignment. One look and the divine of his specific imagination was moved from its high perch and lofty station. But much as we might be authentically surprised, this did not cause the stir of which we've been apprised. Finding God in the altered state of new thought is the work of us all as our imaginations are caught and our inner eyes are turned to the inner place of providence, prayer, heaven's promise, and quiet haste. God still rules the universe in all majesty from his throne, not guilt golden, but gravity. That's Galileo Galilee. Lent is coming around the 1st of March, so if you don't know, 
why don't you look now on the website or call the, your local parish and find out what the schedule is. Most parishes have Ash Wednesday services all day long. So uh, find out what that will be and take this opportunity to make Lent, beginning on Ash Wednesday, something truly special this year, your opportunity to deepen your intimacy with and put your hands around the truth of what God wants to offer. We'll think more about that in the weeks to come as we delve into more and more what it means to be a living Catholic. Hope to see you there. Day by day by day by day by. Living Catholic is a production of Blue Cardinal Concepts, copyright 2017.